You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. A bit of a root of bitterness for Heath taking her away from us. <laughs> we got to enjoy her singing regularly, and we missed that, so thank you for scheduling her today. And I want to thank again publicly uh, Brother Jet for asking me to stand in in his stead while he's gone. I was mentioning to the Sunday school class, I said briefly, I said I'd elaborate a little more during the worship hour. Uh, I'm so thankful uh, for this church, thankful for its influence over the years and uh, for the blessing it's been uh, in the area and among the preachers. And uh, Brother and Mrs. Spencer were dear friends and uh, we, we miss them as I know you do as well. But when, when all the transition was beginning to take place, I was so excited about the prospect of Jason and Aaron Jett, Aaron Jett coming. And I've known them since they were in college and uh, of course... They're dads, preacher friends of mine, and, and so it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. I'm just so excited for you all, and I know you are as well, and uh, just a real blessing. You might get a little, little joy out of this. I, I don't know, Brother Jet may have mentioned it to you, but shortly after I heard that you had called him as pastor, and so I texted him and told him I was so excited about it, so thankful that uh, you guys had called him here, and I was excited to have them in the area, and of course, he said, well, thank you, and they're excited, too. He said, but pray for Erin. said, she's a California girl, and she's kind of anxious about living in South Dakota. <laughs> so I texted him back. I said, tell her it'll be fine. I said, she'll grow fur on the bottom of her feet in no time. <laughs> so she was giving me a hard time at graduation week <laughs> about that comment, but I think the fur has started growing. She seems to be settling in okay. But anyway, I'm, I'm excited for the church and for them and for our area and the opportunity to work together, and uh, so praise the Lord for it all. And then I certainly want to thank you for uh, becoming the home church for my little daughter and her family, and of course, uh, Heath raised here and all, but uh, blessing to know that my grandkids are in a good church where they're growing in the Lord, and uh, all of it's good. God is good, and every day I come to grips with something in my life in some way or another that I, I recognize I'm not worthy, but God sure is good, <laughs> and I praise him for that, but uh, anyway, one of the great goodnesses and things that I'm enjoying is one today, being with you, and uh, just an opportunity to minister in your midst, and uh, praise the Lord for the privilege. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, I'll have you turn to Matthew chapter 22, and if you're capable and able to stand, I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word. And we'll read a passage beginning in uh, verse number 15 of Matthew chapter 22. And we will read to the conclusion of the chapter. Okay? <clears throat> Matthew 22 beginning at verse 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus. Entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. 
Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. Now, let me just interject here. You or I might not have picked up on it. <laughs> might think that they're sincere in this, and they seem to be sincere, but a man looks on the outward appearance, the Bible says, but God looks on the heart. And so, again, it says, uh, he perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. And unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him, or asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother should marry his wife and raise up, unto, raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. <laughs> and the last, also, last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall he be of the seven? For they all had her. Now, again, we might not pick up on some things. <laughs> we're told in the scripture, they don't even believe in the resurrection. <laughs> So, if we're conscious of that, we know this whole question is a ploy, right? They care not. They're, they're just trying to find him, of course, in some fault that they can bring against him. Okay. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Someone has said, when God starts asking the questions, you're in trouble. <laughs> he asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. He said unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? 
No man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Don't you love the Word of God? How can people say, I just don't get anything out of it? Well, we'll come back to it. We'll see if we can. All right, let's bow for prayer. Father, we do rejoice in the Lord's day. As David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. It's such a joy to be here and to have the opportunity as a respite, so, so to speak, from the world and the cares of this life to come and rest a little while into the teaching and preaching of your dear word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts and our minds, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, Lord, what you have for us, collectively, no doubt, but most importantly, Lord, that you might speak to us individually and we might rejoice at what you have for us in that way. And I would ask if perchance, if there's someone in this assembly here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you'd open their mind and understanding and their acceptance maybe as never before to the truths of the Word of God to the point that they would act upon what you would have them act upon today, I know. You have said for anyone and everyone today is the day of salvation. Anyone will hear your voice. They would respond and open the door and you would come in with them. And so I pray that the door of their heart might be open today to the Word of God and then to the acceptance of you as their personal Savior. Bless the service today with someone saved, I pray. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help me as I stand in this place. I pray that you'd enable me with capability I certainly know I do not have. I pray your hand would be upon me, your Holy Spirit would enable me and use me. I would simply be an instrument through which you would speak. Speak to me, Lord, as well as through me. We all need to hear from you today, and I as much as anyone. And so I pray that you'll minister to my heart and then minister through me the hearts of each and every individual here today. And through it all and above it all, we pray that you and you alone would all get all the glory and the praise. For we ask it all, we thank you for it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Verse 46 uh, <clears throat> kind of makes me fantasize what it would be like if Jesus were brought before the Senate Judiciary Committee, <laughs> committee in Congress, and they were to begin to ask him questions. <clears throat> I, uh, I watched with some interest, as I'm sure many of you did here a year or so ago, when uh, Supreme Court nominee Kavanaugh sat before them, and it degenerated into, uh, well, I'll just give you my opinion, it was a laughing stock <laughs> and an insult to the whole process, and certainly uh, the personal attacks and um, what it became was anything apart from what our, certainly our founders intended for it to be. But it made me think, what if the Lord Jesus were to be questioned by this, pardon me, committee of clowns? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and certainly when you think of a judiciary committee, you think what the context or certainly the concern of all the questioning would be concerning the law. <laughs> and uh, 
I'm so thankful for our founders who put some foundational law in the Constitution and made it very difficult to change it. Uh, all that to say, uh, I was pretty impressed with some of the questions concerning the Constitution and the capability and the understanding that Mr. Kavanaugh had of the Constitution. Much more understanding than some of those that were asking him the questions about it. Uh, certainly would be the case if the Lord Jesus were to be brought before, as he was here in a sense, uh, a group of lawyers, uh, those that were certainly Pharisees, knowledgeable of the law, and asking him questions uh, concerning the law. <clears throat> and uh, it's pretty interesting when you think about it, uh, asking somebody about the truth when the very somebody you're asking is the truth. And uh, no one would know the law better than the Lord Jesus who gave the law. Uh, in fact, is the very personification of the law. Get ready to say amen. He's the fulfillment of the law and the demands of the law. We could not meet the demands, but praise God, he can. And he did in our behalf. And so again, his capability and his understanding uh, of the law, <clears throat> which again was the very issue that Jesus had with these religious rulers uh, of his day. Their understanding of the law, or certainly their application of the law. And uh, <clears throat> he made a, a great statement in John chapter 17, verse 17, when he said, Thy word is truth. Now, that hasn't changed. Uh, and it's interesting, again, to understand what he said. He didn't say, <clears throat> Thy word speaks the truth. Or thy word contains the truth. Or thy word involves the truth. You with me? Or thy word reveals the truth. Though it is and does all those things. But more than that, thy word is truth. In other words, any uh, postulation or any philosophy or any thought or doctrine or anything as far as man's capability to understand principles and truths, anything that he would set forth to be a truth or to be considered as such must first be compared with the truth because it is the standard by which we judge and determine truth. Again, we're getting away from, in fact, there's, there's a movement, it's, it's incredible today, uh, the Bible talks about the, the wisdom of man is foolishness with God. It's getting so foolish, it's even foolish with man. <laughs> I mean, it's so readily foolish. In our institutions of learning, we're talking about higher education, the universities, it's a joke anymore. But there's now a philosophy among educators that there is no truth. <laughs> that it doesn't matter. What you say, there is no truth. Well, you think about it. Someone that gets up and says, there is no truth. The truth of the matter is there's no truth. You just, <laughs> you hypocrite, which is what Jesus called them. Do you understand what you just said? The truth is there is no truth. Well, what you're saying is no truth because there is no truth. Well, Pilate said as much, didn't he? What is truth? Again, Jesus said, by word is truth. Come on, there's a truth to be had. And there's a truth to know. And when we get away from the absolutes of truth, anything goes. 
A country without law and rule is called anarchy. That's what we're degenerating into because we have no law. We have no absolute. We have no truth. If the universities are teaching that you can do whatever you want because there is no truth, it's anarchy. Scary, isn't it? When you think about it. That kind of philosophy. And it's gaining footing. It's gaining acceptance in our country today. No truth. The psalmist had it right when he penned this in Psalm 119. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. (laughs) Psalmist, yea, God is saying there is a right way and there is a wrong way. There is truth and there is error. There is a standard and there is no standard. And the standard is the truth of, of God's word. Every false way is the result of an ignorance or a violation of God's word. Let me say that again. Every false way is the result of an ignorance of or a violation of God's word. And the consequences of every false way is devastating. Which is why in church, I tell folks, I tell folks regularly when I'm visiting and I visit folks that say, well, they don't, they're not really church people, they don't go to church. I say to them regularly, I say, listen, if ever there was a day you need to have your family in church, it's today. It's a jungle out there. If ever there's a day you need to have your family in church, it's today. Come on, you're here, you can say amen. If ever there's a day you ought to be in church, it's today. (laughs) Which is what the scripture said. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some is. And so much the more, it goes on to say, as you see the day approaching. In these last days, if ever there's a time you need to be in church, come on, it's more so today than ever before. Need to have our family in church. And so right here in this church, in the Sunday school hour, we're, we're teaching children some of the foundational truths of God's word. Why? Because it'll make a difference in the long haul of their life. Establishing some foundations, some absolutes in their lives. Which again, I say, if you don't have, it's devastating. If you do have, it'll make a difference. Make a difference in your life. I'm so thankful I was raised in church. I saved at eight years of age. I said it many times. When I got saved at eight years of age, I got saved from more than hell. I got saved from a life of hell. <laughs> There's some people, come on, help me here. There's some people who got saved later in life. Wish to God you could have got saved younger. Would have spared you a lot of grief, a lot of hardship, a lot of heartache if you'd been saved as a youngster. I'm so thankful I got saved as a youngster. I'm thankful that my family, my mom and dad saw, saw fit. So thankful they raised me into the truth of God's word that I could establish some foundational truths, some standards, some absolutes in my life that made a difference in my life. The entire narrative here in this chapter of Matthew's gospel concerns the authority of the scriptures. In fact, in verse 17, the Pharisees, when they asked Jesus, is it lawful? They're they're talking about the law of God. In the context of God's word, is it capable? Is it right? Is it lawful? The Sadducees in verse number 24 said, Moses said, which again is referring to the law. They're concerned with the law of God. 
One of the Pharisees in verse 36 asked, which is the great commandment in the law? And then, as I said, Jesus asked them all a stumper there in verse number 41 through the end of the chapter. <laughs> Let them know what they didn't know about the Word of God. And here's where he really put the finger, put his finger, I could say, on the discrepancies that they had in their lives and in the lives of so many others because of their leadership. When he says this in verse number 29, look at this. Ye do err not knowing the scriptures. Does that not say it? Come on, put it in the context of our country today. Put it in the context of the religious communities today, and I, call, I don't call them churches. <laughs> if you're going to be a church, you've got to fulfill the definition of the word of God, okay? But what's the problem with these different religious outfits? They don't know the scriptures, they don't know the scriptures. If you know the scriptures, come on, you'll have right doctrine. You'll have right foundation. You'll have absolute truth. You'll have the truth if you have the scriptures. <laughs> the key is the scriptures. <laughs> I'm talking about the craziness of our country today. How can you have a school and call it a school, have it called education, if you're not teaching the scriptures. <laughs> I said I was thankful I was raised in, <clears throat> raised in church. I'm thankful I was raised in the country I was when I was raised in it. Born in Wichita, Kansas. <clears throat> raised in a little town outside of there called Clearwater, Kansas, about 20 miles southwest of town. Little farming community of 1,300 people. or 49 in my graduating class. My uh, sixth grade teacher taught Sunday school at the First Baptist Church in town there. Her daughter was in my class. The reason I mentioned her, her name was Carrie Parker. <clears throat> when I was in school, we, uh, <clears throat> this is how class would open in the morning. We'd start by pledge to the flag. A pledge to the flag, which now they're doing away with. It's just incremental, the things they're doing away with. But anyway, we started with a pledge to the flag. And then we had prayer. The teacher would often lead in prayer, or she'd call on someone to pray, he or she. I'm talking about in public school, hello? This would be in like... 1959, 1958, 59, 60, we prayed in school, started class in school with prayer. And then the teacher would often read a little passage of scripture in school to start the day. I thought I'd get some amens around here. You know what I mean, amen means, right? So be it. We had prayer in school. So be it. Yeah. Oh, would it be different in schools today if we would go back to some of those foundational traditions by which the greatest generation certainly grew up? <laughs> my dad talked about, oh man, I could chase a lot of rabbits here. My, my dad talked about things that they did in school. It was like Alice in Wonderland. Whoa. 
They had the McGuffey Reader. He talked about the McGuffey Reader. <laughs> every, every kid grew up, the great, greatest, greatest generation grew up with the McGuffey Reader. They learned their spelling and their grammar and all with the McGuffey Reader. They learned how to read, reading, and much of what they read was Scripture. Well, I go back to my point. How can you, how can you have the audacity to say that you have an education system and you're not teaching the truth? You don't have the standard of the truth. Well, it's a misnomer. It's a joke. I grew up in school. You know what the major problems in school were? Talking about difficulties of teaching kids, some of the disruptions and the problems in school. Shirt tails out. (laughs) Shirt tails out. Talking in class. Chewing gum. I know, you're looking at me like, what? what? (laughs) Now it's assault. Now it's rape. Now it's murder, bombs. When I grew up in our little town, if if something, you know, some sort of natural disaster took place, a tornado or something, if something happened, uh, you know where you were supposed to go? I mean, talking about the whole community would go for safety and security. You went to the school. <laughs> now that's the first place you run from, you know. Okay, here's where I'm arriving. Are, are, you, are you staying with me here? In 1963, our Supreme Court made a ruling that we don't want God in the schools. And so, no more Bible reading. No more prayer. Carrie Parker, by that time I was past, she taught sixth grade. By this time, I'm a sophomore in high school. I remember her publicly saying, as long as I'm teaching school here, we're praying and we're reading the Bible. (laughs) And it went on until she retired. However many years thereafter, she kept reading the Bible and praying. But here's the deal. Okay, God, we don't want you in our schools anymore. Hit the road, Jack. We don't want any more of this stuff. God said, okay. How's it going for you? (laughs) How's it going for you? I'm not real smart, but I'm smart enough to say, you know, I think it might be good we go back to that. I think it was doing pretty well. When we were teaching the truth and teaching from the standard of the truth, I think we benefited from it. I think it was a good thing. Yeah. Okay, I got that off my chest. (laughs) It's crazy. I'm telling you, the farther we get away from God and the truth, the more bizarre it gets. It's crazy out there. So the statement, which is all-encompassing and so applicable even to our day, is, again, verse number 29, ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. In that day, in the day since, into the day of today, (laughs) the statement could be made the same. Come on, listen to me. If you want to be right, if you want to do right, if you want to know right, you better get your nose in the book. Come on. 
or you're going to err. You're, you're going to do wrong. You need the scriptures. You need the authority of the scripture. You need the absolutes of God's word. Oh, God, how we need it today. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. That's what needs to be heard. It's the answer to the confusion and the ignorance and the error of today. Ye do err. They erred in the submission to the scriptures. With these men of his day, really the scriptures were nothing more than a ploy or a pretext for something they wanted to say or do. This very approach to the Lord Jesus was a ploy. They're only trying to find him in some fault for which they can make accusation against him. Look again at verse number 15. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Look at verse number 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness. Look at verse number 23. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. And then look at verse number 28. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Again, the whole purpose was this ploy or this purpose to catch him in a fault. Verse number 35. One of them asked him, one of the, was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, okay? Trying to find Catch him in some fault or error. You've probably heard it said, a verse out of context is a pretext. You do err not knowing the scriptures, not submitting yourself to the very context. You know, you know what? <clears throat> you, you, can, you can pretty much say anything with scripture if you take it out of context. How about this one? Judas went out and hanged himself. Go thou and do likewise. <laughs> Come on, you can make it say anything you want. One of my favorites is my pastor David Kevin preaching years ago. He's preaching on John 3, Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, you know. And Jesus cut to the chase. I mean, he knew who Nicodemus was. He, Again, he knew all these questions and stuff. He cut right to the chase. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Here was Nicodemus' response. You mean I must enter my mother's womb again and be born? <laughs> I mean, come on, come on, help me here. I'm not crazy, am I? That, that, what? That is absolutely laughable. But here's what Dr. Kevin said. I've never forgotten. He said, Listen, if somebody came along today and started preaching that from that text said, listen, if you're going to be born again, you've got to enter your mother's womb again and be born again. He said, if somebody came along and preached it, there'd be a crowd that would believe it. <laughs> you know, get this. And they'd try to practice it. And here was his statement. They'll believe anything but the simple truth. Yeah, I mean, you can get as bizarre as you want. They'll believe it. But you give them the simple truth of the gospel. That's too simple. Now, you, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say, but not in context. God's word is very clear, and you need to submit yourself to the scriptures. You know, if I can go back to the liberals, they love to say, any, anybody that's a Bible believer, this is their favorite question. I'm just, I'm just looking for the time someday when I'm among that crowd, and they try to nail me this question. I'm, I'm loaded for bear. <laughs> Here's the question. They say, 
How can you say homosexuality is wrong? Or how can you say, you know, the Bible says here, this is the only verse in the Bible that they know. Here's what they say. You, you know where it's going. You've probably heard them say it. How can you do that when the Bible says, Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. <laughs> how, how haughty of you to find fault with somebody else. You're not supposed to judge anybody else. Jesus said that. That's not what he said. He was in the context of motive. You can't judge somebody's motive. You don't know why they're saying something. But you can judge whether they're wrong or not. Hello. Come on, he said, by their fruit shall ye know them. That's a judgment. That's a judgment of their doing or their actions or their philosophy. Not their motive. <laughs> so let me put it this way. We're not judges. We're fruit inspectors. <laughs> and we can judge them by their fruit. And we can have the authority upon the truth to say you're wrong. In fact, listen to this, 1 Timothy 5. Then that sin rebuke before all that others may also fear. Come on, sin is defined in the word of God. And you can say if you're doing that, it's a sin. And it's wrong. God has set the standard for right and wrong and you're doing wrong. Sodomy is wrong, it's a sin. We pick on some like that that are so grievous sins, but come on. Living together is a sin. <laughs> Come on, we've been, we've been conditioned by the ungodliness that goes on in our country today to the point that we just kind of let things slide and now it's accepted. No, it's not accepted in the word of God and the word of God never changes because God never changes. It's called whoremongering. <laughs> it's called adultery. And it's sin. And it's wrong. This is a Baptist church, right? It's wrong. You err in your submission to the scriptures. God has set the standard. It's not our place to reason why or God sets the standard. We're not God. He set the standard and we're to abide by it and we're to respect it and we're to submit ourselves to it. But for our own good, it's for our good. You do err, brethren, in your submission to the scriptures. You certainly err in your knowledge of the scriptures. Again, simply put, as I've already said, regarding righteousness. God sets the standard, not you. In fact, if you go back, God found, when he came down to see how things were going, sometime after the creation, he says man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. There's the problem. There's the problem. <clears throat> About, I don't think it's been quite a year ago, I was watching some news and there was, I forget, some deal going on in California. God help California. <clears throat> 
Anyway, they were showing the legislature, California legislature, and they were describing some of these issues concerning these Christians and these churches that were standing against some of the moral issues. Um, And I think primarily it was dealing with sodomy. And a California legislator on the floor of the California legislature was on record as saying this, and I quote, the faith community has to evolve with the times. The faith community, he's talking about Christians, okay? They're going to have to evolve with the times. In other words, we're going to pass laws in California, yay, in our country, that you're going to have to conform to. And if your faith is in conflict with the laws that we pass, then you're going to have to learn to change. (laughs) Well, nothing's new under the sun. The apostles in Acts chapter 5 faced the same sort of thing, and they challenged them, they charged them to obey the law that they'd passed. And Peter said, we must obey God rather than man. (laughs) There's, There's the bottom line. Because God says one thing, and listen, he is the final authority on the matter. And I'm not saying we're just to be a bunch of rebels and say we don't have to do what the government says. No, Romans chapter 13, we have a responsibility to submit to those in authority. But when their laws come in the fly in the face of the truth of the word of God, we have no recourse. And we must do what God says. A knowledge of the scriptures. Certainly regarding salvation, there's all kinds of problems today because of that, isn't there? not submitting themselves to the knowledge of Scripture regarding salvation. I love this statement Jesus said in John chapter 5, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. (laughs) And they are they which testify of me. And again, he was talking to the Jews in particular. They talked about the law and that they were, you know, they were the children of God and thus and thus and thus. And he said, why don't you search the Scriptures? You've missed the whole message of it. If you really give, a, give an attention to the knowledge and the instruction of the Scripture, it talks about me. Abraham to his son Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. Whoa, boy, how prophetic was that? On and on and on we can go through the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, the Jews still have a hard time with Isaiah 53. <laughs> the great prophetic prophecy of the crucifixion and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. So again, regarding salvation, search the scriptures. You need to understand that you're erring, not knowing the scriptures concerning salvation. There's all kinds of teaching. I don't, I don't, know, if, I don't know this crowd. I don't know if there's visitors here. I know some of the folks, but I don't know if some of you are visitors or not. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what you've been taught. I don't know what churches maybe you've come from, but listen, I'm telling you, there's a lot of churches that are not churches. In fact, it's, it's so bizarre today. I'm hearing folks come to, my, come to my church and say, Preacher, we were in a couple of churches. They didn't even open the Bible. I'm saying, are you kidding me? They didn't open the Bible. They read some news article or something and made some application. Oh, my soul. Well, listen, when it comes to salvation, here, here's pretty much, I kind of sum it up this way. Here's pretty much the summation of what I call the big lie. And most churches, not all, but most churches teach the big lie. You know what the big lie is? Here it is. When you get to heaven after you die, you're going to stand before God. He's got a big scale there. 
And he's going to put all your good on one side. He's going to put all your bad on the other side. And you're going to cross your fingers and hope against hope that your good outweighs your bad, and then you'll have entrance into heaven. Now, they may have different variations or versions of it, but basically that's the message. You've got to do the best you can. Some say there's venial sins and there's mortal sins. and You know, venial sins, that's okay, but more, you know, any mortal sin. Because there's a scale there and then mortal sins will do you in. You with me? I mean, tell me, that, that's pretty much, it's called the big lie. Do the best you can. Hope against hope that your righteousness outweighs your evil and that'll get you into heaven. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy hath he saved us. You're not saved by works. For by grace are you saved through faith and not none of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Anybody have trouble understanding that? The Bible's pretty plain. Get this one in Isaiah 63. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. Whoa. We're in trouble. You say, man, we're going to load all of our righteousnesses on one side. Your righteousnesses are filthy rags in God's sight. Are you with me? Bottom line. Clear understanding, you don't have any righteousness. You know what you need? You need a savior. You need a deliverer. You have no hope. You have no hope. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He paid my debt. He offers me a free gift. I don't merit it. It's, I don't have any righteousness to say, Lord, you owe me this. No, if I get what I deserve, I go to hell. I do not pass go. I do not collect $200. I'm done. But thank God for his mercy and his grace. And he offers us a free gift. And it's not by works. By grace, through faith. You say, well, that's one way. <laughs> no, that's the only. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Is that hard to understand? Is that kind of mystic? Or <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'll tell you what I mean. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. You can't get there by Buddha. You can't get there by Muhammad. You can't get there by Confucius. You, Confucius is a good name. That's the name of all these gods, confusion. There's no hope any other way. Jesus is the way. He paid the debt. He's the Savior. Old Jonah had some problems in his own ministry, but I'll tell you what, he had it right when he said, salvation is of the Lord. 
There's only one salvation. There's only one way. It's through the way that God provided for us through the sacrifice, the substitution of his son for our salvation. Jesus said in John 3, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth in him. No wonder the world needs to hear the gospel, right? No wonder Jesus said go to the uttermost part because listen, everybody needs to know the truth. The truth in the gospel the truth of the Savior himself. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Peter preached it well there in Acts. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you're here this morning and there's never been a time and place in your life where you've recognized that you have no righteousness, that you have no hope, that you're condemned already, as Jesus said, there's never been a time and place when you've acted upon that. You've recognized it and you confess it to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't have any hope. I'm undone. I'm condemned. But your word, the truth said, you love me. John said, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Lord, you love me. The Bible says you love me. And you died for me. <laughs> that you could offer me a free gift called eternal life. Lord, I've got to tell you right up front, I'm not sure I comprehend it all. <laughs> I don't understand it all together. But I understand simply, I don't have any hope without you. And if you said you love me and you gave yourself for me so that you could offer me the free gift of eternal life, Lord, I'm confessing that I am a sinner and I need what you offered me. And I'm asking you, Lord, if you'd save me. If you'll do that. The Bible says... Well, Jesus himself said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Romans chapter 10 said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you got to call on him. It's not just a mental ascent. Well, I know he's a savior. I know he died for me. And I know that he'll give me the gift of eternal life. But I got to ask him for it. I got to call upon him. If you've never had a time and place in your life, I'm talking about a descriptive, distinctive time when you recognized, I don't have any hope. <laughs> I'm condemned and I need a Savior and there's only one. And Lord, I'm, I'm confessing now and here, I need you as my Savior and I'm sorry, I'm a sinner, I need you to save me. If there's never been a time and place just like that, I'm talking about a distinctive time when you remember, well, I don't remember I said it just like that, but preacher, I know I... I recognized who I was and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. If there's never been a time and place like that, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm telling you because Jesus wants me to tell you because he loves you. You're lost and you're on your way to hell. It's not like, well, one day it's going to be determined if I go to hell. No, you're condemned already. You're on your way there. But Jesus doesn't want you to go there. He died for you so that you don't have to go there. If you'll accept the provision that he made for your sin and confess him as your Savior, he'll save you today. I'm telling you, you can leave this place today knowing you're saved, knowing you have a home in heaven. Not to die in your sin. It's good news. That's why it's called good news. <laughs> Brethren, you do err not knowing the scriptures. You've erred in your submission to it. You've erred in your knowledge of it. You've erred in your understanding of it. Look again at verse number 29 when he says, nor the power of God. <laughs> I like it in the context, particularly of the Sadducees, or the 
Yeah, the uh, Sadducees who didn't even believe in resurrection. There is resurrection power. Jesus got up from the grave. He told Mary and Martha, remember that? Lazarus' funeral. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I'm telling you, one day, if the Lord doesn't come back in my lifetime, but I really think he's going to, I think he'd come today. I pray he would come today. But if he doesn't come in my lifetime, they're going to throw me in a pine box. I told my wife, don't spend a lot of money on me. Throw me in a pine box, plant me in the ground, and put up a Jesus a sign that says, Jesus saves. Amen. <laughs> but I tell you what, I'm not staying in there. In fact, I'm better looking than this thing. I'm stuck in this thing. I'm better looking than this. The real me. <laughs> the real me, the minute I die, I'm going to be in my Savior's presence. And then one day when he comes back, this, this old ugly clay thing I'm stuck in is going to come out of the grave, and it's going to be transformed too. Maybe the best looking body you've ever seen then. The resurrection. Hallelujah for the resurrection. <laughs> Resurrection power. I like the kids' little song. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Yes, sirree. The power of God. Power, resurrection power. Power to impart and preserve his word. Talking about this very text. Well, it's just a compilation of different men. Come on, really? Man couldn't write a book like this. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a very foundational thing. You know if man wrote this book? You know what he'd write basically? I mean, kind of the theme of it all? It would be this, because this is what man says today. Man is really good. He's got some good qualities. We can just cultivate, you know, that good nature. Man is really good, and we can establish a utopia. That's not what the Bible says at all, is it? Man is innately depraved. And if he's left to himself, he's given to a life of depravity, which is not why you need to be saved. Make a difference in your life. Make a difference in our culture. Make a difference in our country. Can you imagine what America would be like if everybody was saved? (laughs) No, the nature of man is corrupt. It's depraved. It's condemned, okay? And so if man wrote the Bible, I'm telling you, it'd be chock full of errors, be chock full of a philosophy completely contrary to the whole message of the Word of God. This isn't the Word of man. This is the Word of God. And it is true, as Jesus said, every jot and every tittle, and he referred many times to the Old Testament. That was the Bible in his day. And he talked about those prophets that spoke as God would have them to speak. And so the power to impart his word, he has the power to do that. He can take a man, come on, and he can have a man write something. The man himself doesn't even understand it altogether because it's not the man's word. I've used the illustration of writing a letter. You know, if you get technical about it, you say, you didn't write that letter. That pen wrote the letter. You don't have the capability to write. Okay, come on. But I used the pen to write the letter. It's not the pen's word. It's my word. So it is with the word of God. 
God picked up a guy by the name of Isaiah. God picked up a guy by the name of Jeremiah. God picked up a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, and he wrote his word using that human instrument. Come on, don't, give, don't buy into this garbage, this nonsense that says an assault on the truth of the word of God. It is God's word. He has the power to impart it. He has the power to preserve it. Well, we know that just by the very nature, things change and men copied and copied. By the time we get it, who even knows if it's the same thing? Well, such could be the case if it weren't for divine intervention. And God made a promise that he would preserve his word. And God cannot lie. It is his word. And we have it down to this day. And so the power to impart and preserve his word, the power to save, go back to that thing of salvation. I'm so bad, I don't think God could even save me. Apostle Paul would say, listen, if he can save me, he can save anybody. Paul said, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. If God will save me, he can and he will save anybody, and he will. I don't care who. Go down the list. Judas could have been saved. Interesting Bible study if you want to do it on your own. Look every time Jesus is talking to Judas. He's basically saying, whence comest thou, my friend? (laughs) What are you doing, Judas? Constantly convicting Judas. Nobody else knew Judas was lost, but Judas did, and so did Jesus. But he could have been saved. Adolf Hitler could have been saved. Might be a different world had he been saved. Come on, Jesus can and will save anyone. Whosoever will may come. He has the power to save. He has the power to cleanse. Old songwriter put it this way, the cleansing stream. I see, I see. I plunge and oh, it cleanseth me. Oh, praise the Lord, it cleanses me. It cleanses me, yes, cleanses me. God will clean you up. He'll make you amazing even to yourself. What God can do with a man that's totally given to God, I'm telling you, it's incredible what God can do. The transformation, the conforming work that he desires and wants to do. He has the power to do. And in that sense, the power to transform. No, you can't change. I hear it all the time. I've tried. I just can't change. No, you can't, but God can change you. And he will change you if you'll submit yourself to his power his capability. I take you back and I close with this. Verse 29. You don't have it marked in your Bible. This is a key verse. This is a key statement in all the Word of God in verse number 29. Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Thank God for Eastside Baptist Church. I am at Eastside Baptist Church. Thank God for Eastside Baptist Church. Thank God the word of God is respected, reverenced, held in high esteem, and is preached, and is taught, and is passed on as the only answer for the need of a lost and dying world. And God help us to stay faithful to the inerrant, God-given, authoritative, true word of God. It's been preached today, and when it's preached, it finds us where we live. And we can reason, argue, justify, and try our best to get around it. But the Word of God stands. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, the Bible talks about one day you're going to stand before God. 
It talks about books that are going to be open. I'll tell you one book that's going to be open, this book. And you're going to be judged by the standard of this book. And I'll tell you right now, you don't make it. You don't meet the standard. You need a Savior. And there is one. And he's ready to save you today. And if you're saved, and you haven't submitted yourself to God's Word and allowed the Word of God and the work, and the work of God, the Spirit of God, to do a work in your life, come on. It's time to submit yourself and yield yourself to what God desires to do. He'll make you, he'll fashion you into a vessel that's a beautiful thing for his glory. Such should be our heart. Oh God, make me that kind of vessel. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.